John chapter 2. And I want to talk to you about the voice in my head today. Um, now, I, those of you that don't know, I'm Dwindle. I'm not, at this point, I've been on staff in a few different positions here at church over the last 10 years at City Church. I've been a part of City Church for a little over 10 years. Uh, came here during a very, very difficult time in my life, and Pastor Troy uh, became the pastor um, that year and, and reached out to me and really helped me through some very difficult times. And, and um, every once in a while, I get the privilege and the honor of being able to preach, and I'm always grateful for that, never worthy, uh, but I do appreciate that. And so we've been working on this for a while and, and uh, thinking about this this message, the voice in my head, and I want to talk to you over the next three weeks about this. See, the thing is, today in our world, we hear a lot of voices. When I was a kid, we had three channels on the TV, and my dad would tell me when to get up and turn it. So we would go to the, whichever channel he wanted to watch. Um, during the day when he wasn't home, I watched Mr. Rogers just to annoy my sister because she hated Mr. Rogers. Um, and I don't know if I really loved him or just loved messing with her. But mom always let me win because I was the baby. And, uh, but, you know, back then, that's all we had. We had we li I lived in small town Olive Branch, Mississippi growing up. I lived here, and then I moved away and came back and moved away and came back. But in Olive Branch, when I grew up, when I graduated high school back in 1803, there were Less than 4,000 people in Olive Branch. And now we're close to 40,000. It's a different place than where I grew up. And back then, when I was in high school, I could leave my house and I could drive somewhere or get on my bike and ride somewhere or walk. And I could go all over town and, and, and go places and do things. And when I would get home a few hours later... My parents never asked me where I went. They never were concerned about it. My mom just somehow knew because some oh, there's a bunch of nosy ladies in Olive Branch back then that would call my mom and say, hey, I just saw Dwendal down here by Sonic. Did you know he's down here? Well, yeah, it's the only place in Olive Branch to go. Of course he's at Sonic. Where else was he going to go? That's all we had back then. We had Sonic, Dodge's store, a big star, and a food right, and a barbecue place, and that was it. So where else are you going to go? But it was a different world. I grew up in a world where we didn't have computers. As a matter of fact, the first computer I bought, I was a freshman in college. No, I wasn't. I was a sophomore in college. I bought a computer just because I was tired of typing on a typewriter. And I wanted to use that computer as a word processor. And when I went into Sears, I paid $1,800 for a computer back then. Had credit to get it. And the lady said, you know, for an extra $100, you could have a modem. And I said, what's a modem? And she said, it allows you to communicate with other computers. I said, that's stupid. Why do I need that? I just want to type papers. That's all I want. So I bought me a PS1 computer, IBM PS1 computer, and I took it home. And just a few years later, all of a sudden, everybody's talking to computers around the world. There's this thing called the Internet. And suddenly people are talking to each other. And then there's this thing called MySpace. Yeah. Yeah, y'all still keep up with MySpace? No. And then all of a sudden, several years ago, there was this thing came out called Facebook. 
I was actually a missionary at the time. I was living in Costa Rica at the time, and Facebook came out, and I remember saying, no, I don't want to deal with that. Why do I want to get on Facebook? And then people said, you know what? You're a missionary. You want people to, to know what's going on in your ministry. If you get on Facebook, you can post things about your ministry. Okay, so I joined Facebook. And then it became an addiction. And then Twitter came along. And if you've ever seen two different worlds in your life, you've been on Facebook and then Twitter, whoo, it's like traveling to a different galaxy. They are different worlds. There are things I post on Twitter that I would never post on Facebook. Things I post on Facebook, I'll never post on Twitter. Why? Because you're going to get attacked. And I just don't feel like arguing with idiots or people that are smarter than me either. But not on social media because it's not. But the thing is today we're, we're in... We're overwhelmed with TV, streaming services, movies, music, politicians, and social media that's telling us what we should and shouldn't believe, what we should and shouldn't do, what's right and what's wrong, how we should live our lives. And if you go on and say the wrong thing on social media, you will be attacked and, and called every name in the book because you don't agree with their stance. And it gets confusing. And we've got all these voices pouring into our heads. And we've got people wondering, is it true or is it not? And I know when I, when I went away to college, I'd grown up in this little small town of Olive Branch, Mississippi. I was raised in a conservative Christian home. My parents lived what they believed. They did not play the game. They lived it. They, they, my mom is no longer with us, but my dad still is. And, and he still walks the walk. He still studies his Bible. He still prays. He still, he still walks with Jesus daily. And that's what I grew up with. And then I went to college and I was faced with people with professors and students that challenged me about things that I just assumed were true because I'd always heard them. And then all of a sudden I had to decide, do I believe these things or not? And I came down on the side that the Bible is true, that Jesus is real, that he makes a difference. And I did that after some study and some questioning and some, some doubting, if I'm being honest. Because some of these arguments they give you in this world seem legit. They sound that way on the surface until you really dig down into them. So we got to get the confusion. we got to get these voices that are crowding our head together. So, this, so what we're going to do is today... Over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at some of these voices and how to deal with them. I'm going to attempt to show you how to determine the voices that we should listen to. Which voices are there and how do we know if it's an authentic voice or a lie? And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to look at the voice of the master. We're going to talk about Jesus. And we're going to look at how to recognize his voice and, and the importance of listening to the master's voice. Next week, we're going to talk about the voice of the enemy. And we're going to look at Satan. And he is the father of lies. And we're going to see the lies and how he uses those lies. Because I'm going to tell you, the lies are sometimes easier to believe than the truth. And then the third week, we're going to look at the voice of wisdom. And I've renamed that a few times, but I come up with, I, I finally settled on the voice of wisdom because what we're going to do is we're going to put together how we can take our circumstances and our, our upbringing and our faith and our social media and our friends and family, all the things that we're hearing, and put them together and realize what is true wisdom. And what really makes a difference? What's going to impact our lives? So I hope you'll be here for all three weeks. And then on that fourth week, Pastor Troy's going to be back. Yeah! So, 
We're gonna, I'm going to try to get through this in just a few minutes. But we, he, he, here's the thing. I had this sermon basically together but needed to really fine-tune it this week. And then I had an emergent, or a unexpected visit to California I had to do with my work. And all of a sudden, boom, everything's gone. Then I get back and there's one son needs some help and then another son needs some help. And then somebody that's not even my son needed some help. And, and so we're, I want you all just to read the words on the screen and pretend I'm preaching. No, we, we won't do that. But uh, no, we're going we're gonna to go through it. But if you're in John chapter 2, we're going to start out. And I want to read you the story about Jesus' very first miracle. And we're going to look at this. And then there's one verse out of there that we're going to dissect and talk about some things as we look at the voice of the master. We're going to talk about the voice of the master today. So if you've got your Bibles, John chapter 2. I'm going to be reading out the New King James Version for this passage today. Most stuff is, is NIV, but... This passage, the, the main verse I'm wanting to highlight, I like the way the New King James says it, so we're going to look at that. It says this in verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? Now, can I just say that Jesus did not grow up in the South? Because I don't care how old he was. I understand he was 30 years old at this point. But I promise you, at 30 years old, if I'd looked at my mom and said, Woman, what does that got to do with me? She would have slapped me down. My mom did not understand that you're not allowed to hit kids. Because she would whip me in a heartbeat, even today, if she were still with me. Uh, but... He looked at her, and she comes to him with a very simple problem. We've run out of wine. And all of a sudden, and, and so Jesus looks at her and says, what does that have to do with me? Remember, at this point, Jesus has never actually done a miracle. They haven't seen that yet. But mama knows. If anybody in this world knew that Jesus was virgin born, Mary knew it. Everybody else believes it. Mary knows it. And she knows there's something about her son. And she knows he's got the ability to do some amazing things. So he looks at her, though, and he says, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants. Now, again, Jesus just said, woman, what are you telling me this for? It's not time for me to do anything yet. What does she do? She turns to the servants, and she says, whatever he says to you, do it. Very simple. Whatever he says to you, do it. It didn't matter that he just told her he wasn't doing it. And even Jesus is going to listen to his mama. Because then it says in verse 6, Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus, Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. Now, Jesus, he looks over, and here's this water, 20 or 30 gallons of water. They're wanting wine. And what does he do? He just says, he, or there's just water pots. They're empty. He says, fill them with water. And just go take some to the master. Go take some to the, to the father of the bride. Let's just give it to him. He wants wine. Let's give him some water. That's acceptable, right? We'll see. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, 
every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests, when the guests um, have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Let's pray together for just a second. Father God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for, for this opportunity to, to speak in front of your people. And God, I pray today that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that you would remove the window nails from this pulpit and all my flaws and, and errors and, and, and misunderstandings. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak today. God, would you bless the reading of your word and may you be glorified by what's done here today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We see here in this passage an amazing thing to me because he goes out and he, he just simply takes some water, fills them up, and then there's wine. I was, when I was a kid, there was a comedian I heard, and this story has always stuck with me, but he, um, he told the story about a, years ago, a police officer pulling over a car, and it, it was a southern preacher driving the car. And he walked up to him and said, he said, may I see your license, please? He handed it to him, and he, he looked at the name and said, okay, Mr. Brown. He said, no, sir. It's, it's Reverend Brown. He said, oh, I apologize, Reverend Brown. He, I, said, I didn't realize you were a pastor. He said, yes, sir, I am Reverend Brown, and I am on my way to a speaking engagement as we speak right now, and that's the reason I was in a little bit of a hurry. And the the policeman said, well, I, I apologize, Reverend Brown. I'll try to get you on your way as quick as possible. But you were speeding, and not only that, you were kind of weaving in and out of traffic and driving a little erratically, and I, I needed to check a few things. He said, can I ask you a question, Reverend Brown? He said, yes, sir, go right ahead. He said, he said well, in the seat next to you, what is that bottle? He said, oh, that there bottle, that, that there's water, nothing but pure D water in that bottle. He said, oh, well, do you mind if I see it? He said, yes, sir, you go right ahead. And he, he took the bottle and opened it up and took a whiff of it, and he said, uh, uh, Reverend Brown, I hate to tell you this, but there's not water in that bottle. Oh, yes, sir, there's water in that bottle. I promise you that's all there is is water. And he said, no, sir, Reverend Brown, that's not water. There's wine in that bottle. He's praise God, he done done it again. <laughs> well, This is a way not to listen to the voice in your head. Oh, <laughs> See, sometimes we like to take the things that Jesus has said and twist them to fit what we want. Instead of taking the things that Jesus has said and putting them together in the manner in which he intended. So we want to talk today about this. And I want to show you some things. We want to look primarily at John chapter 2, verse 5. And I want, I want to dissect this verse as well as I can in the next few minutes. But he says here in, in, in verse 5, His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. It's a very simple proclamation. Jesus is the master. As a matter of fact, he tells us in John chapter 13 that you call me master and that's good because I am. And if you go, but Jesus is the master. Jesus, we understand that Jesus and God are one. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But I want you to understand today what happens when the master speaks or how we need to respond when the master speaks. I want you to see how you can trust when the master speaks. Because all the voices coming in your head today, and we're talking about today the voice of the master, the voice of Jesus, it's different from what the rest of the world is saying. It's different from the voice of the enemy. It's different from the voice of social media. It's different from the voice of TV and, and, and movies. 
Jesus has his own unique voice, and there are ways we can know it, but there's, there's for certainty, we can trust it. So I want you to see some things about when the master speaks. First of all, I want you to see that when the master speaks, you can trust the message. You can trust the message when the master speaks. When Jesus speaks, it's trustworthy. Whatever he says is trustworthy. What does he say there in, in verse 5? It says, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever. Now, you can't use this same logic with everybody you, you talk to. There are some people in this world that are not real trustworthy. There are some people in this world that will just flat out lie to your face. There are some people in this world that will tell you things just to get you to do something stupid. I've been on both sides of that. Those of you that know me a little bit, you don't even have to know me real well. You just know me a little bit. You know that I like to make stupid jokes many times at inappropriate times. And a lot of times, they're flat-out lies. Here's the thing about me, though. If you're ever around me and I tell you something and you think I'm messing with you, just give it a couple of minutes because if I'm messing with you, I will eventually tell you I'm messing with you. If I don't tell you that, I'm serious. But most of the time, I'm messing with you. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it's to the point that when we have meetings here at church that I'm involved with, if I say something, Pastor Troy doesn't even ask anymore. He's just like, oh, that's dwindle. And we just move on. Um, matter of fact, last night we were at a wedding and several people came up and asked me if I was preaching today. And I'm like, I don't think so. And one young man that was there that's in your in 662 said, yeah, you're preaching tomorrow. I said, no, I don't think so. He said, no, Pastor Braden finished last week. I said, no, he's got one more week. He said, no, he doesn't. He's, he's through. I said, no, I'm, I'm serious. He's got one more week. I'm not preaching. He goes, I, I think you're wrong, Dwindle. I said, no, I'm, no, he's got one more week. And he's, he's hold on, I'm going to text him. I want to find I'm like, no, no, don't bother him. Don't bother him. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm going to, I am going to preach tomorrow. Yeah, at least he's been paying attention. That's good. Um, but when Jesus speaks, whatever he says, you can trust it. You can know it's the truth. Whatever he says to you, do it. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20, it says this. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. Now catch this. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Here's two things I want you to see about trusting the message. Number one, God cannot lie. He says there in Hebrews, specifically, in verse 18, it is impossible for God to lie. God cannot lie. It's impossible. It goes against his nature. Now, I don't want to break your heart, 
But some of you, that little sainted grandmother of yours, who you could trust for everything, lied sometimes. Now, guys, you'll never believe this. But sometimes, men that are married, listen to me. Sometimes your wife lies. Now, wives, I may not can say the same thing. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we are all guilty of telling lies. There's not a person in this room, if I were to ask you to raise your hand, like Braden embarrassed us all a few weeks ago and had us raise our hand about sinning, everybody here would raise their hand and say they've lied, or you would be lying, right? Because we've all done it. We've all been guilty of it. Sometimes we do it because we think it's what's best for the situation. Sometimes we do it because we're trying to get out of a situation. Sometimes we do it because we're just evil. I don't know, but sometimes we lie. God, it's not that God just claims to not lie. God cannot lie. So you can trust the message. Not only does he tell us that God cannot lie in there, he also tells us that God's purpose is clear. See, here's the thing about it. When we get into the Word of God, people want to try to find little things where the, the Word of God doesn't mess up, doesn't really connect, and, well, it says this here and it says this here. But if you really study it and put it together and understand the true purpose of God, it all makes sense. The problem is people like to take one little verse and make it apply to their life instead of looking at the entire Word of God and understanding that God put it there for our betterment and for our understanding. And God's purpose is clear. Matter of fact, he said in verse 17, he said, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. He doesn't want to try to confuse you. He doesn't want to try to, 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 to mess with your mind. He wants you to understand his purpose. And when the message comes from Jesus... It can be trusted because God's purpose is clear. If the, purpose, if the message seems unclear to you, if the message does not seem like it's accurate or whatever, there's some problems. The first thing that's always true is that if, if the message is unclear, Satan is trying to confuse you. And we'll talk more about that next week because he is the father of lies, as I've already said. He wants to confuse you. And he will throw out things that seem to be the truth in order to make you doubt what really is true. And that's what he does. He brings confusion. Another thing that could be true is maybe you don't want to accept the truth when you hear it. I don't know about you, but I've been there. Sometimes the truth is just smacking you right in the face, and you know this is truth. You know it's the thing God wants you to do. You know it's the thing that God wants to happen, but you don't want to accept it because it's going to cause some embarrassment for you. Or it's going to cause some discomfort or it's going to make you have to actually confront someone. Or it's going to make you have to actually sit down and be quiet when you want to speak. Whatever it is. But sometimes we simply don't want to accept the truth. But the truth is the truth whether you accept it or not. You can deny it all you want. You can ignore it all you want. You can do whatever you want. But the truth is always the truth. And the third thing about this, if the message is unclear, wisdom is always available if you'll simply ask. If you're not sure what the truth is, if you're not sure how you should act, if you're not sure how to make that decision, God promises he'll give you wisdom. In James, everybody knows this verse, but in James chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. 
Just this week, I've had to pray this prayer and ask God to give me some wisdom for a situation that I was dealing with. Now, I was nervous going into it. I sat down and talked to somebody that I didn't want to talk to. I know what their view is on what we were talking about. I know what God's view is on what we were talking about. I was scared to death, but I still prayed for wisdom several times prior to this conversation. And when I got into it, it's not resolved yet. But I do feel like it was handled in a way that we're moving toward the resolution. Because God will give wisdom. Even to somebody as idiotic as I am, he will give wisdom if you ask. God cannot lie. God's purpose is clear and God will give you the wisdom when you need it. The second thing I want you to see today is not only can you trust the message, you can trust the messenger when it comes from Jesus. What did he say in, verse, in, in John chapter 2, verse 5 again? It says, whatever he says to you, do it. Whatever he says. See, Mary didn't just look around and say, hey, servants, okay, you want to do something about it? Go over there to that guy in the corner and whatever he tells you to do it, do it. Or he said, just go ask somebody. Somebody's got the answer. That's what they do at my work sometimes. You just send out an email to 50 different people. Surely somebody on this chain is going to have it. But when Jesus says it, you can trust it because of who he is. Because of who Jesus is, you can trust the messenger. See, there's some things we need to understand about Jesus. One, whenever Jesus gives you an answer, whenever Jesus speaks, Jesus acts on our behalf every time. See, when Jesus created, I mean, when God named things sins, when God was able to to say, here's the Ten Commandments, and when he was able to give rules throughout history, you know what? He didn't just randomly pick out rules and go, oh, you're going to really enjoy that adultery, so I'm going to take it away from you. (laughs) I'll tell you, you can't do it. No. You know what? If you live your life as a drunk, you're going to have way too much fun, so I'm going to tell you you can't. That's not how he did it. You know what? Drugs are really, really fun. They're good for you, so I'm going to tell you you shouldn't do it. And that's how we picture God. We think he just wants to take away all the fun. There are people that that claim not to believe in God but still believe in hell because they think hell's going to be a party. It's not. It's going to be hot. It's going to be painful. It's going to be suffering. It's going to be the worst thing you could ever imagine, not even because of the heat, because God's not there. That's the worst part of hell. But when he made up rules... They weren't made up to stop us from having fun. They were made up in order to give us the abundant life that he wants for us, to make our lives better because he knows there are consequences to every decision. There are consequences to every action, and he knows that when we do what's right, it's going to bring blessing and fulfillment to our lives. And when we do what's contrary to his will, it's going to bring pain and suffering eventually. And he also knows that it's going to break that fellowship with our Father. So that's why he did that. But when Jesus says something, he acts on our behalf. Matter of fact, in in Hebrews 6.20, it says this. We were just reading that passage. Where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf, he has become a high priest forever. Now, if you know the story of this, you know, there, there was the... There was the Holy of Holies where the priest would go once a year to sacrifice for the sins of God's people. And there was this huge veil, this curtain in between the rooms there. And he would have to go in and only the high priest could go in. And only after he went through the ceremonial cleansing and everything, 
But when Jesus died on the cross, when that happened, that veil was ripped from top to bottom. And all of a sudden, we had access to go in there. But that high priest, prior to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that high priest was the one that went in and prayed on behalf of God's people, asking for the forgiveness of sins and offering a sacrifice. And this is saying that Jesus now is our high priest. And he even says he's our forerunner, has entered on our behalf and become our high priest. See, Jesus is the one standing before God as our lawyer, Asking him to wipe the slate clean. And I've used this illustration before here at City Church, but I want to use it again. I want you to imagine, if, if, if you will, that we come in here and, and imagine all the walls were white instead of just these. But let's just paint all the walls white. And then we pick out one person out of City Church, you, you whoever I'm talking to right now, you. We pick you out. We come in here and we start with a, with a Sharpie, start to write every sin you've ever committed on these walls. Every bad thought, every lie, every deception, everything you've ever done that you know is contrary to God's law, we write them on these walls so that anybody can walk in here and read your sin. And then we come in here behind that with a bucket of red paint and we paint over all these walls and make it bright red in here. Then anyone that walks in this room, all they see is red. And so here's the thing, because of what Jesus has done on the cross and because of what he's doing right now, interceding on our behalf, when we stand before the judge, God, someday, he's going to look at us and he's not going to see that black sin that's in our life. He's going to see that red blood that covered it. And he's going to say, welcome. Your sins have been forgiven because Jesus paid your debt. Everything he does, he does on our behalf. He pleads for our forgiveness. Not only that, but Jesus is always faithful. Always. There are people in your life that you, that you can trust. There are people in your life you can go to, even with the deepest, darkest secrets, even with the, the things you're embarrassed to tell anybody. There's someone in your life that you really think you can tell everything to, that person you can trust. Or you can go to someone and you know that they're going to give you true advice that's best for you, not simply what sounds good. There are others that will give you advice just because it seems cool. There are some people in your life that are not faithful. There are some that are faithful for a season and then are not. Or there are some that were not faithful that have learned to be faithful. It works. People do change, I believe, with the power of God. But Jesus is always, always faithful. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, it says this. Here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. Remember, when Christ died, he took our sins with him. We have to die to self in order to accept Christ. And as we die to our sins, we become alive in Christ. If we endure, we will also reign with him. The Bible teaches several times in the New Testament that those who endure to the end will be saved. Now, understand, if you've already received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're saved. But he's saying that final salvation is going to come when we, when we enter into the glory of God. He then says, if we disown him, he will also disown us. People that don't put their faith in Jesus, Jesus is saying, if you didn't believe in me, how can I believe in you? 
If you didn't put your trust in me, how can I take you into my home? And then verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Jesus is always faithful, even when we don't understand it, even when we can't see it, because he can't disown himself. He can't change his character. He can't change who he is, and he is faithful by nature. He will never lie to you. He will never let you down. You can trust the messenger when it's Jesus speaking. And the third thing I want you to see today very quickly is that when the master speaks, not only can you trust the message, not only can you trust the messenger, but when the master speaks, you can trust the method. To me, sometimes that's the hardest one to accept. Because, man, sometimes his methods are hard. And they're not hard because they're difficult to do. They're hard because we don't want to do them. <laughs> they're uncomfortable is really what it comes down to. He said again, you, you can trust the method because, in, again, going back to John chapter 2 and verse 5, Mary said, whatever he says to you, do it. Do it. See, in, in our Christian life, we have to actually take action. We have to actually do something at some point. When God called Moses to go in and rescue the children of Egypt, you know what? He had to actually get up and leave and go there and do it. When God called Abraham to go to a land and said, I'm not even telling you where you're going. I just want you to start marching. Abraham got up the very next morning and took off with his family. Sometimes you got to get up and do something. And we want to sit around and just wait for God to do it to us. God, I can't afford to pay my bills. Please let me win the lottery. And he's going, you know, I just offered you a job last week that pays you almost twice what you're getting now, but you ignored it. You got to do something. Sometimes you just simply, sometimes just do it. It's that simple. I run 17 miles every morning. People ask me how I keep my teeth from chattering in the wintertime. I leave them in my locker. In 1988, Nike came out with an ad campaign, Just Do It. That was their very first commercial. That's the year I graduated high school. Just Do It was created by an ad agency, and it was presented to the agency by a guy named Dan Whedon, who admitted that he borrowed the saying from a Utah murderer who was actually being shot, who was being killed by gunfire, by the state back. This is a long, long time ago. And as they, as they were getting ready to shoot him and take his life for the murders he had committed, he just yelled out, just do it. And then this guy took that story and turned it into a huge ad campaign for Nike that actually sent them into the next realm. They were not near the company they were prior to that. And then they became huge. They used this 
this phrase, just do it, and they put it up in their factories and in, in, in places all over the U.S. And over the next couple of years, there were some amazing things that happened. One of the executives for Nike embezzled a whole, I don't even remember the amount now, but a ton of money, way more than I've ever had from Nike. Just do it. Several employees were caught stealing shoes from the factory. And one of them, when they were, when they were caught and they were being reprimanded for it and the police were being called, they actually looked at the person that was talking to them and said, I don't know, I just felt like doing it. There was another lady that worked for Nike that actually stood up and announced to her co-workers, I'm leaving my husband today. He doesn't know it. I'm running off with so-and-so, one of her co-workers, and we're moving to, a, to an island. Why? Because there's this big sign behind her that says, just do it. Now, I just want to say to you, those types of things are not the things you ought to just do. Those are not the things that Jesus is going to tell you to do. But when Jesus speaks, we need to just do it. We need to quit questioning and doubting and coming up with every excuse in the world, and we need to do it. Why? Because you can trust the method. His methods are not always easy. Understand that. His methods are not always easy. Many people think that if God really loved us, then he wouldn't allow suffering. But understand that suffering is in the world because of sin. That's the reason we have suffering today. There are times that suffering is, is here because of our own sin and we're having to deal with the consequences of that sin. Sometimes it's because we're being attacked by Satan and, and we're having to deal with things because we're actually taking a stand for our faith. We don't, sometimes we don't even know why the suffering is, is going on. We don't understand what, why God is allowing things to happen the way they're happening, but we can always trust the fact that God knows what's going on, that he knows what should happen. In Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9, it says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Basically, what, what God is saying is, I see things that you don't see. I understand things that you don't understand. When God created this world, he put it, in, he, he put it into motion with things that we could never fathom. We learn things all the time about how he made this universe work that makes perfect sense that we would have never been able to think of. I work for a company that makes pacemakers and, and cardiac resuscitators and things that are implantable. And I had to, a while back, go through a, a class on how the heart works so, we would under, so I would understand more about this technology. And, and it's amazing to me as you look at this and how the, the, the blood vessels and veins work and how they're... They're taking blood and sending it into the heart that infuses oxygen into that blood and then sends it back out to all the organs in your body so that those organs can operate the way they should because they need oxygen to operate. And then they send out the, the bad back to the heart that then adds more oxygen and sends it back out. And it goes to every little part. And the thing is, if there's a blockage in there or if there's a problem in one of those organs, if there's a problem somewhere in the heart, it, there's things that we know now to do to fix those issues but we could have never imagined putting together a body that works the way ours works. That is so perfect in its design. But God did it because he knows everything. Because he is all-knowing. And he was able to put it together. His methods are not always easy, but they're always right. As Christians, we're going to face persecution and suffering in our lives. Matter of fact, 2 Timothy 
3, verses 10 through 13, it says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. Now, this is Paul speaking, and he's been beaten and almost killed and thrown into prison and everything for the cause of Christ. Then he says in verse 12, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. The Bible teaches us that we're going to face persecution, we're going to face difficulties as a Christians, but that doesn't mean the methods are wrong. It just means Satan is fighting to stop what God's trying to do. You can trust the methods and then the last thing I want you to see here is his methods are always for our good. Now, we already talked about Jesus acting on our behalf, but I want you to understand the methods he chooses are for our good. As a matter of fact, in that same passage, 2 Timothy, if we skip down to verse 14, in verse 14 it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those things whom, from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is how we know the desires of Jesus. We study the word of God. See, when I got into college and I started studying different religions and different belief systems and even different forms of Christianity, what I always went back to is the Word of God. And here's the thing. If you want to say, well, I can believe part of the Word of God but not all of it because I just don't like where it talks about this or I don't like where it talks about this sin or I don't like where it talks about this activity. Well, here's the thing. If the Bible is a lie in any part of it, then we don't know which part is true at all. So we might as well assume all of it's a lie. You can't just pick out one little part and say, well, I, I don't really believe that's true. I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but I just don't believe that he would really call this a sin. If the Bible says it, it's true. And if it's not, then we're living a lie. And either it makes a difference and it's worth us sacrificing for or it makes no difference and we're fools for trying to live it. But it cannot be somewhere in between. It either has to be truth or a lie. Because the other does not work. His methods are always for our good. This is how we determine what we believe by studying the Word of God. And as we learn the Word of God, when we're faced with these temptations, we're faced with these conflicts, we're faced with these confusions, we're able to remember what God said. When we don't spend time in the Word of God, we're able to remember what the movie said instead of what His Word says. And the movie is not always true. I don't know if y'all figured that out yet, but they're scripted. People actually make those stories up and make them end the way they want them to end. But God's word is always true. In 1 John 5, verses 3 and 4, it says this, In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. He says, if you really love me, you're going to obey me. Jesus said that, and then in here, here, John is saying, if you really love God, you're going to obey him. Obedience comes with that love. But he also says, 
His commands are not burdensome. They don't weigh you down. They don't keep you down. They don't keep you from living a full, abundant life. As a matter of fact, they free you to live the life you were intended to have. They're not burdensome. We want The world wants you to believe that you're being held back by the word of God when in truth you're being set free by the word of God when you will truly study it and apply it to your life. We claim to love Jesus but refuse to obey his commands. We claim to love Jesus but we stand with the world on subjects that we know that he speaks against. We claim to love Jesus, yet we live contrary to his word and wonder why we see no victory in our lives when he says the victory comes through our faith. When the master speaks, you can trust the message. When the master speaks, you can trust the messenger. When the master speaks, you can trust the method. Because whatever He says to you, do it, and you will see the victory that comes through that obedience.